0: Good morning, Village Church. It is so good to see you this morning. I am really, really pumped about this new series that we're starting. So when I woke up in the middle of the night last night and looked at my little clock and it said zero, I thought, uh, oh boy, <laughs> we, may, we may have some people that just decide to just stay home and try and survive. And uh, so, But I'm glad that you are here. Uh, this is the first Sunday of a four-week series that we're doing uh, that will uh, launch... Off of our time that we had uh, last Sunday, and explain to you what is unique about Village Church, Uh, specifically what's unique about our church here. Uh, We've had several new folks that have been joining with us. Some people have been asking questions: what makes this church different from another church? And so, all of your questions and more will be answered. And so, I'm excited that you're here for the for the launch. Uh, I've been praying over this for a long time, actually, and uh, came down with a unique way of doing this. I I uh, met with uh, Michael, Michael's the pastor, lead pastor at uh, Village Church of Bartlett, uh, and he and I sat down together and I said, hey listen, this is the direction I'm thinking about going, what do you think about this? And, uh, and he's totally pumped about it, and so I, I got even more pumped about it. That I'm, I'm doing this a little different than I would normally do it, um, and so I'm glad that I'm doing it with you and you, got, and you get to do it with me. We're actually looking at one passage of scripture over the next four weeks just one passage. Uh, And there's so much in this passage about the uniqueness of the ministry of Jesus Christ and how he passes it on to the church that it just flew up at me and got me very excited about doing it. So I'm excited you're here for our first day of doing that. Let me first of all tell you a little bit about church. Some of us, we drive by a million churches on, on every corner, right? There's churches everywhere. What makes one church different from another? All right, If God approves of a church, the one thing that makes that church approved by God is the fact that it holds to the gospel. The gospel is the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. You can read about it in 1 Corinthians 15. Paul, the apostle Paul, writes to the church at Corinth, and he says, listen, above all things, keep preaching the gospel. If you are a church that preaches the gospel and lives out the gospel, you are a church that God would approve of. If you're in a church that doesn't talk about the gospel and you're thinking to yourself, I'm not even sure what the gospel is and I've been going to this church forever, you really need to evaluate what it is that that church is teaching you. Because every church that is commended in the New Testament, every single one, the bottom line of all those churches that all those things have in common, those churches have in common, is that they are similar in teaching and believing and living out the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're going to talk a lot about that in the uh, near future, over the next four Sundays. However, what makes a local church unique is how they live out the gospel, how they choose to do ministry, how they choose to integrate the gospel into every culture that that church is planted in. So you might go to one church, and think to yourself, I really click here and go to another church and feel like, I'm not really sure I click here. Both are preaching the gospel. Chances are you click more with one because they are doing a ministry that kind of speaks to where you're at in life at that point of time. So God approves of all these. Lo- God loves local churches. That's why, by the way, in the New Testament, you may not know this, but the, the uh, books of the Bible in the New Testament largely are written to local churches. Thessalonians is written to a church in Thessalonica. Ca- Corinthians, written to a church in Corinth. Ephesus, Ephesians, written to a church in Ephesus, and so on and so on. These, these books of the Bible are literally written letters sent to these local churches where the apostles or the disciples of Jesus Christ are commending them or condemning them on how they're living out the gospel. So when you read the book of Philippians you are reading a letter Paul wrote to the church at Philippi, a local church. Now, not all churches were the same. In the Bible and today, not all churches are the same. A lot of them have, are unique in the way they were living out Scripture. When you get to the book of Revelation, how many of you are, are uh, familiar with the book of Revelation? Yeah, Do you, do you like the book of Revelation? First, the first two chapters of the book of Revelation uh, after the introduction is conversations with local churches. And these local churches, five out of seven are, are kind of not talked to very nicely. <laughs> Two are okay, but it's like John, John is writing because the Holy Spirit is speaking to him. He writes the book of Revelation, and we get all that end time stuff, uh, which is interesting and exciting. But before he gets to that, he talks to these seven churches Uh, Pergamum, Thyatira, Ephesus, all these different churches he talks to, and he says to them, hey, listen, here's some things I'm commending you for, and here's some things you are just dropping the ball on. Talking to these these churches. It's interesting when you read this letter, this revelation to these uh, churches, if they are rebuked every single time. If John rebukes through the power of the Holy Spirit... If he's rebuking these churches, it's for the way they have dropped the ball on how they live out the gospel. If he commends them every time, it's how well they are living out the gospel in real time. I just picked out three. Like, like literally, I flipped it open. I'm going to pick these three. Pergamum. Pergamum was commended for preaching the gospel to the point of being killed for it. These people in this church were being martyred for the gospel. Are you a Christian? Yes, slice off with your head. But they were rebuked for allowing people into their church fellowship who were believing and practicing cultish beliefs alongside of the gospel. God is not keen on sharing his truth with untruth. And so Pergamum is commended for the way they're dying for the gospel. But they are rebuked big time, because they are allowing other people in the faith in to, to celebrate with them, who are bringing in cultish, cultural belief systems. Thyatira was commended for teaching the gospel. Amazing. But rebuked for not condemning cultish, homo, uh, uh, cultish uh, immorality, sexual immorality inside the church. They believed the gospel, but they allowed people to come in and spread their beliefs about a cultish way of worship this pluralistic society that we're living in is very very similar to the idea that all gospels are the same they are not and this church in revelation was condemned because they were teaching that you could worship god through cultish practices which involved sexual immorality inside the church Ephesus you remember this one this is a big famous one right what was Ephesus condemned for oh come on what was Ephesus condemned they, they lost their first love thank you thank you to those people who jumped up bravely and answered the question. Yes, they lost their first love. That's the one we like to preach on. They lost their first love. Do you realize they were commended? They began by getting commended. They were commended for how they held to the gospel. But they were condemned because they had lost their first love. They forgot why they held to the gospel. And so God said, you know what? I'd rather you weren't around. Isn't that awful? He said, I'm gonna spew you out of my mouth. Why? Because the gospel is central to a healthy church. So if you're in a church that's preaching the gospel, hallelujah, that's where you should be. But if you're in a church and you're thinking to yourself, I'm not even sure, I, don't know. I know what the gospel is, time to reevaluate. <laughs> the way the gospel-centered churches live out the gospel defines their values. What do you value about the way that you live out the gospel in the church and outside of the church? Because whatever you do, whatever practices you do that scream about, this is the gospel, those become your values. And what I'm excited to talk to you about over the next four weeks are the values that make Village Church East unique. And whatever those values are, that we need to lean into it. For us, we're finding that, and we talked about this last week, we're finding that God is kind of opening doors for us to walk through, which is really cool. Like like uh, I sat down with Michael over this past week and we did my uh, my annual evaluation. And man, he just laid on me like nobody's business. You know, you got to fix this, you got to fix this. And I said, forget you. No, it didn't go anything like that. It didn't go anything like that. He, he, he literally said, I got nothing to say to you. And I said, well, I got nothing to say to you either. So we were good to go. But um, we we talked about our... our uh, uh, what, what we've been doing as a church, and I wrote this big dissertation for him and handed it in, and the thing that became clear to me is almost every breadcrumb we followed over this past year, past three years, almost three years now, has been a door that God opened for us, and we just kind of followed, followed what he, he was showing us to do. And it's amazing to me. I'd rather do that than a five-year plan because I have found that my five-year plans typically don't work out so, so well, right? God usually changes direction in one way or another on me. But for our church, one thing I'm excited about is that every breadcrumb we followed to figure out who we're going to be has been a door that God opens for us and we boldly have just kind of followed behind and said, okay, make us who you want us to make us into. And, and I'm excited about Uh, who we are. And if you missed last Sunday, I can't do it all over again, but it was a lot of fun. VCE, Village Church East, is not like other churches. Uh, We don't want to be like other churches. I, I do not want to be another. I want to be our church. I want us to look like Village Church East. And we are putting together a unique face for our church in this community. We are following God's lead to see how he wants to make us unique. And so there are six values that we are holding to as we walk the path that God has for us as a church, these six values are going to be what we talk about over the next four weeks. Today we're going to do two of these values. I laid them out all up on the screen uh, so that you can see the direction we're going. These, and by the way, Megan, where are you, Megan? Megan, Megan's in the back. Uh, she's wonderful. She put these values. There's a link to this if you go to our website uh, right under the message that you hear today. There's a little link there, and it says these are our values. If you miss them today, you want to read more about them click on that link and it'll show you the values, the six main values of our church. We hold to these, but yet we're anxious to see the way that they kind of birth out of us in the community. Here are the six values we hold to. We're a team-building church. Village team building church. Uh, village church teams are collaborative and they are evaluative. In other words, no, no one operates as an island. We work together I don't even operate as an island. In case you're under the assumption that I make decisions, it's very rare day that I make a decision. Right, John? Right, right. yeah, yeah. John makes all the decisions. <laughs> yeah, Brett makes, <laughs> makes all the decisions. We, we, we collaborate, uh, and not just leadership, uh, but we, we collaborate with the teams that we have because we want to make sure we're going in a direction that everybody buys into. This, this church needs to look like us, not me. So we're collaborative, and we evaluate. What does that mean? If you have a job to do and a ministry to do, you're going to get evaluated. So don't get attached to your job. Don't get attached to your ministry. Your ministry is not you. Your ministry is what you do. And so we're going to evaluate, because nobody does the job really, you know, knocks it out of the park 100 times, 100% of the time. Um, Yes. so we evaluate. Number two, we are a digital church. We're committed to building digital, shareable, and helpful content, so that we can help our disciples grow, which is why we're doing dwell. That's a digital impact of our church. We are gonna make your life digitally connected in a redeeming way. God knows you've got a lot of stuff that you're watching digitally that probably is not enhancing your spiritual growth. Our job is to give you a lot of stuff that enhances your spiritual growth. Number three, we're a family church. If you haven't caught that, you haven't been with us for, for long enough. We value our families. We are a loyal family. We are an authentic family. What you see is what you get. If you see me up here and you haven't had a chance to get to know me yet, you'll get the same guy at the back door. You'll get the same guy at a a restaurant. And if you don't, I'm going to get evaluated. Get it? That's how it goes. All right, number four. We are a servant-led church or servant leadership church. What that means is we have an inverted leadership scale. An inverted leadership scale is completely different from what you'll find in the world. In the world, it's top down. Here, it's bottom up. So, you're looking at who should be the biggest servant in the church. And so, our goal is to lead from the bottom up, not from the top down. And we'll talk more about that as we get into that uh, in the future. We are also prior- prioritize decentralized leadership, which means I'll, I'll get into that one too because we're going to cover that today. But basically, we give every. My job is to get rid of red tape. Who likes red tape? Oh, it's, it's horrible, isn't it? My job is to make red tape go away for you. Isn't that great? So that if you get to do a ministry and you're thinking to yourself, I'm not sure I know how to do this ministry very well. My job is to make your job easy. That's decentralized leadership. We are a what-if church. We value visionary leadership. We're not talking about what we do. We're talking about what if. I remember when Michael came over here the first time and he spoke here. I wasn't here. I think we, I was at Bartlett. But I, I listened to his message, and he said, okay, church, what if all obstacles were removed? What if there was no obstacles, no financial obstacles, no, no physical obstacles, and no obstacles at all? What do you want to do in a year? You love that? What do you want to be in a year? So we are a what-if church. Every Sunday, you know, we end up with our so-whats. That's kind of the what-ifs. We, we, uh, we want to build, which is a sixth one. We're so-what church. We want to give you as much room to grow as you can possibly have. Uh, We also challenge cultural lies. We do not take our cue from culture. We don't change when culture changes, because culture changes all the time. (laughs) And quite frankly, I can't keep up with it. And it's not my job to. My job is to stick to God's word and figure out, as culture changes, how we navigate that with the gospel that never changes. So we want to challenge cultural lies, and we want to release culture-changing disciples. We believe these main values will keep us moving in the right trajectory toward a healthy church. Listen, church, healthy church is not a destination, it's a trajectory. We want to stay on course. We'll never be a perfect church until we get to heaven, and then we'll be a perfect church. But until then, we're going to try and stay on the right trajectory. Healthy church is not a perfect church it's just a church heading in the right direction. And that's why we help each other as we move forward. So, <clears throat> in order to even help you more, here are the next four Sundays. You want to know what we're talking about? Here are the upper, up on the screen. First Sunday is today. Everyone has a space here. I want to tell you how much we value people. Number two, everyone has a family here. I want to tell you how much we value family. Number three, everyone can find hope here. We want to have values in this church that give hope all the time. Every Sunday. And number four, everyone will know we are here. We want to have values that direct culture. Don't take cues from culture. All right? So those are the next four Sundays. Isn't that exciting? (laughs) Yeah. I don't know, Craig. I'm kind of losing it. All right. How about we jump into scripture? Luke 5. This is where we're going. Luke 5. This is 10 verses that are going to change your life. It's a story in the life of Jesus Christ that you may have heard before. But over the next four Sundays, we're going to look at this four different ways. Like a, like a glass we're looking that's kind of beveled, and we're going to look at this story through four different lenses. And we're going to pick out some really unique things, truths, that I have noticed about Jesus Christ in this story. And the first one is, everyone had a space with Jesus Christ. Can't get away from it. Here's how the story goes. Luke 5, 17, one of those days as Jesus was teaching Pharisees and teachers of the law that were sitting there, who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was on him to heal. You know what I get first of all from this? Jesus is popular. People are traveling from how many different places here? All these different places, Galilee, Judea, Jerusalem. Everybody has heard about Jesus. There's no social media. There's no Twitter account. He can't get his news out that way. So this is all word of mouth. There's something big happening. And it's, it all surrounds this person called Jesus. And he, here's the thing. He's going to be at this house today. So everybody packs up their stuff. They, they don't have cars. They pack up their stuff and they start walking. Because they know this is the destination. They hear it all through word of mouth. Not only is he gathering people that are interested in who he is. He's gathering people together together. Who are anxious to get rid of him, and at the top of the, that list is the Pharisees. Pharisees. That's right, Pharisees and teachers of the law. Um, now, remember from last week, Peter said, uh, Jesus said to Peter, Who do people say that I am? Peter said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God, right? And, and so, some people are getting the rumor that Jesus is God incarnate, Emmanuel, God with us. They're starting to have that click, not fully. Because God doesn't walk in human flesh. That's never happened before. But there began to be a rumor that something like that is going So Other people are saying, well, you're like Elijah, or you're like a prophet, like Jeremiah. Everybody was interested in who he was, but they weren't, they weren't totally convinced. And there was a lot of rumors going around. So where Jesus went, a lot of people gathered. So they gathered at this house, waiting to see him. And the Pharisees were with them as well. Now, in Jesus' day, there are four major religious groups. Here they are. There were Sadducees. They were sad, you see. (laughs) There were Sadducees, there were Essenes, there were zealots, and there were the Pharisees. These four groups followed Jesus constantly. They had control, they had their thumb on the lives of the people in various different ways. We could talk about them all, but we'll just talk about the Pharisees for a brief minute. Pharisees were not like religiously taught leaders. They were lay people who had their own schools but they were people who basically interpreted Moses' law into everyday life. I'm going to put this in in a category, and you tell me who this sounds like, all right? They took what Moses said in the Old Testament, and they told the people, here's how you translate that into everyday life. They even had courts to determine whether or not people were living out God's word in every possible cultural situation. And if you passed, you were good with the Pharisees. God bless you. Go on your way. Don't screw up. That's the Pharisees, all right? They taught people what their values should be. And when their values did not click with the behavior they saw, they were on you like I'm trying to think of a like a bread on butter, like ham and cheese, like ham and jam. <laughs> they were. <laughs> they were on you like like nobody's business. You remember when they caught the woman in adultery? No need to have a court, baby, we caught her. So they bring her to Jesus and they're ready to stone her right there and then. They took Moses' law and they interpret it for you in everyday life. And if you messed up, you're on the blacklist, right? And you don't get to find, uh, to Christmas, to find out if you got coal in your stocking, you're gonna get judged right there, right then. The Pharisees were well-respected in this time and in this culture because they were the teachers of the law they were the ones that interpreted old testament to modern day culture all right god's word to modern day culture they were this day's judge whether jesus was correctly applying old testament god's word to everyday life. That's why they constantly found problems with Jesus. He was healing on the Sabbath. He was picking corn on the Sabbath. Jesus was breaking the law all over the place. That's why they went to Jesus, because Jesus was getting popular, and they thought if Jesus gets popular and he's breaking all these Old Testament laws, what's going to happen next? He gets all these followers. What's going to happen? Chaos. All those followers are going to be, are, are going to be just like Jesus, and they will lose control. They were there to put Jesus' values on trial. So they're watching him. Verse 18. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up to the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. I read that, I've read that like so many times, and every time I read it, it just gets me right here. Do you want to know why? This man was a non person. What was wrong with this man, church? He was what? What does a paralyzed person do? Nothing. We don't even know if he could talk. He was literally paralyzed. He was paralyzed to the point where he couldn't move himself, he was a non person. And in this day, there's no value to you unless you can contribute something to your family and society. This man could contribute nothing. He was a non-person. He couldn't offer anything to his town, his family, or his society. He was needy. He couldn't provide for himself. How do you like needy people? they get on your nerves a little bit? It's okay, you're in church. <laughs> needy people have a tendency to kind of, kind of dry you up, don't they? They need, they need, they need. This guy was a definition of need. He couldn't go to the bathroom himself. He was the definition of a needy person. He was helpless. He could give nothing in return for anything somebody did for him. He couldn't pay them back any way possible. He's probably broke. And he was desperate for even living. He likely was the most needy person in the area. And there was no way this kind of a guy is getting in this room. Remember, Jesus' popularity is increasing. People have come from how far away? Miles, miles, miles away. They've walked in. They are not going to let some paralyzed, needy, non-person get in front. If you you go go to a big big conference, you look for the best seat, especially if you want to see the guy that's showing up. There's no way this guy was getting in the room. It's too important of a gathering. And his friends knew it. Now, this is what gets me about this story. This guy had friends. This guy had friends. I mean, he couldn't do anything for them. It's nice to have a friend that can do something back for you, right? But a friend that is needy and can't even wipe himself? But he had friends. And not only did he have friends, but he had friends that took a risk. I want to explain this to you. More important than having friends, look what these friends did. They removed the tiles from the roof. You know what we call that today? (laughs) Breaking and entering. You guys just go right to the dark side, don't you? I was thinking vandalism, but okay, I'll go that far over there. Either way, this is not a popular thing to do. Like, okay, church, we're going to have a field trip today. We're going to take the roof off 12 houses in the back over here. People will not think highly of us if we do that, right? These guys crawled up to the top of this roof and started prying tiles off. They don't know whose house this is. Likely, they, they don't. They, they, but they don't care. They do not care. They are really willing to take a risk because out of love for this man, and not only that. Church, listen. If they did this, thinking to themselves, "Oh God, if if this guy who has the power to heal could heal our friend, who we love for God knows what reason, we just do. If he can heal him, our lives, his life, everything would change. But what if Jesus couldn't pull it off?" What if, he, what if he didn't do it? What if he looked at them and he said, you know, you guys, you're, you're committing vandalism here. I can't be a part of this. I'm sorry. Get them up. Get them back out of here. They, they don't know how Jesus is going to respond. They don't have a television. They don't have, they don't have social media. They have no idea what Jesus is going to do. All they know is what they've heard about Jesus, and they're willing to take a risk. They're willing to take a risk to, to, to commit vandalism, breaking and entering, and then lower this guy in front of Jesus with the sheer hope that Jesus will do something for their friend. And if he doesn't, their name is Mud. Do you, un- do you know how long their walk would be home? Do you understand they would ruin their reputations and the reputations of their families for generations? Those are the guys that committed vandalism. I don't know why they did it. Some paralytic guy that can't do anything for the, for the community. These guys amaze me. Verse 20. They amazed Jesus too. And when Jesus saw their faith, church, he said, will you say what what Jesus said here with me? Here we go. Man, your sins are forgiven you. Alright, one question. Whose faith did Jesus see? Read it again. Whose faith did Jesus see? The friends. He saw their faith isn't that great? It's not the paralytics faith. That guy can't do anything. That guy couldn't say, no, 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 I don't want to go. That guy's at the mercy of his friends. His friends pick him up from being a very happy, at home, kind kind of just laying there, take care of me kind of a guy. They take him over there. I don't know what's going through his head, but these guys amaze me. And not just me, they amaze Jesus too. Because when they let him down in front of Jesus Christ, Jesus looks up at them, not down at the guy. And then he looks down at the guy and he says, Listen, you need to know something. You've got great friends, and I'm forgiving you all your sins. Isn't that great? Jesus forgave this guy all of his sins <laughs> because of the faith of these four guys. Can I ask a quick question? What kind of a sin would a paralytic commit? He's not robbing banks, you know. He's not going out, you know, at night, doing things at night he shouldn't be doing. Nothing, nothing good happens after 12 o'clock. He's, he's never done that. What bad things is a paralytic doing? Comedy. What's that? Comedy. Maybe, Cal- I don't know. This I know. All have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. What does all mean, church? Everybody. All means all. So the nicest person you've ever wanted to meet in your life is still, as John Calvin would say, full of sin from the crown of their head to the sole of their feet. We all are sinners, and we have all fallen short of God's glory, including this paralytic man. So, I wonder though, can you imagine on this day, like Jesus looks up the guys, down to the paralytic, and he says, listen, you you need to know, these guys have an amazing faith, and your sins are all forgiven. What do you think his friends thought at that point? They're, they're listening. They're looking down. They're listening. What he say? Did he say, "What he say? He say he's healed." No, he. What he say? Sins are forgiven. Jesus, we don't need that right now. <laughs> I wonder what they were thinking. Could you just get him up? He gives him the greatest gift that he needs at the time, which is absolute forgiveness of sins. I love it. The greatest need this paralytic had was not to walk again. The greatest need this paralytic had was to hear from Jesus Christ, the Son of God, that he's good with God. I think we sell that short a lot, don't you think? If you know Christ as your Savior, you need to know something. You're good with God. You literally are a friend of God. You are a son and daughter of God. You, you have an in with the Father, anytime. You can pray to God, he'll hear you. He's never too busy for you. And in fact, he thinks so highly of you that he will stick closer than a brother to you. We sell that short a lot of times. That is the gift Jesus gave the paralytic man first. So guess what the scribes and the Pharisees did? Want to know? They probably went, oh, that's wonderful. Thank you, Jesus. Verse 21. The scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone, and they walked right into it. They walked right into it. Jesus sets them up. Jesus was not fair. He sets them up, and they walk right into it. Because their question is legitimate. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Now, I was going to do an illustration at this point to kind of illustrate what I'm, what I'm talking about here, but um, I'll tell you what I wanted to do, and you'll understand why I didn't do the illustration. So let's say John were to come up here, and, uh, and uh, let's see, and uh, Chris, you were to come up here, and I said, okay, Chris, punch John in the face. <laughs> and let's say, Chris would go, I don't, I don't really want to, I kind of like John. I said, no, just do it, just do it, just for sake of illustration. So Chris clocks John in the face, right, and John <laughs> hits in the face. So, oh, oh. And then I were to say, Chris, I forgive you for punching John in the face. <laughs> How absurd would that be? Who needs to be be asking for forgiveness? Chris, all the time you should get to know him, right? Chris needs to be asking for forgiveness. Who needs to be the one forgiving? John, who am I to forgive anything that goes on between these two? That's the point. Who is Jesus to forgive sins that I commit against my wife, against my children, against you? Who is Jesus to forgive sins? Only God can forgive at that level, you see? So they were right. The Pharisees were right. Who can forgive sins but God alone? This guy has sins. We all have sins. Only God can forgive sins. And they were dead right. And they walked right into it. Because Jesus uses this as a great illustration. Jesus is saying, because you belong to God, God made us our greatest offense when we sin against each other is our offense against the one who blesses us, loves us, and made us. You see, without God's forgiveness, I'm just one offender telling another offender that he's forgiven. The Pharisees know this. So in verse 22, here's what happens. Jesus perceived their thoughts. Don't you love it when it starts that way? Jesus perceives their thoughts. He answered them, Why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, here it is, church, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise and walk? So, church, I am asking you the same question that Jesus asked. Which is easier? Is it easier to heal a paralytic that has never moved in his life, or is it easier to forgive somebody of their sins? Demonstrate to me your sins are forgiven. I'll just wait. Can you demonstrate to me that your sins are forgiven? (laughs) No. (laughs) Neither can I. That's what the Pharisees were saying. Anyone can forgive sins. You're just a shyster. You're just a scam artist going around telling people their sins are forgiven. You are a scam artist Jesus. So Jesus says, what is easier? Forgiving sins or healing people? And the answer, church, is simply this. It's harder to forgive sins. It takes a lot more work. You've got to kill a God to forgive sins. But these guys look at Jesus and they say, prove it. So you know what Jesus does? Oh, I love it. Verse 24. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, Rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And immediately, church, how quickly did this happen? Immediately Immediately he rose up before them. He picked up what he had been lying on. Can you imagine how that smelled? He picked up what he had been lying on, and he went home glorifying God. Forgiving sins is harder than healing a body. So Jesus did both. Don't you love that? He did both. This is precisely why Jesus does miracles. If you read the New New Testament, you're thinking to yourself, why is Jesus doing all these miracles? It's always for the same reason, because Jesus' greater job is to forgive us of our sins. Church, that is the redeeming power of Jesus Christ. That is why he came. That is why he was born. That is why he lived. That is why he died. And that is why he was raised from the dead, to forgive us of our sins. That was his job. The reason he did miracles, that's the easy stuff. He did miracles to demonstrate he has the right to forgive sins. He's the only person on the planet who ever had the right to forgive sins. And if you don't know Jesus, when you show up before the Father, you're in trouble. Because no one can forgive sins. Your works can't forgive sins. No human can forgive sins. I can't forgive you of your sins because I'm an offender just like you. It would be as silly as Chris punching John in the face and me saying, Chris, you're forgiven. Everybody's good here. You'd laugh at that. And you should, because the only person who can do that is Jesus Christ. And if you don't know him, your sins are still with you. We get to heaven on the broken back of a Savior. Only God can forgive sins. So Jesus healed the paralytic to demonstrate to them that he was God. And if anyone ever tells you that Jesus was not God, you've got a major problem with basically all of Scripture. Because Jesus made claims to be God. He did miracles to demonstrate he was God. His whole life was proving that he is God. And when he went to the cross and died, his own disciples said, show us the Father and it'll be fine with us. And he looked at his disciples and he said, dude, are you so stupid? You have been with me for all these years and you say, show us the Father? You're looking at him. Jesus made claims to be God all the time. Anyone who came within 10 feet of Jesus' circles found themselves in a place where Jesus could use them to demonstrate his grace. He constantly stopped to help those born into the wrong kind of families, the Samaritans, half-breeds, constantly talking to Samaritans, half-Jewish, half-Gentile. Nobody loved them. Jesus always took time for them. He regularly took time to bless the helpless. Remember the children when they were brought to Jesus, and the disciples said, we're doing adult stuff now. Take the children away. And Jesus said, whoa, suffer not the children, which is a nice way of saying, back off, these are important to me. Bring them up here. He compassionately respected those who were hated by society. Remember Zacchaeus? The whole town hated that dude. The reason he crawled up in a tree was because nobody let him in the front. They hated him. Jesus said, I'm going to have lunch with that guy, the most hated person in this town. He lovingly helped those who served as, who were seen as enemies in the culture. He healed a Roman centurion's servant. Those Romans that would kill him he blessed. He graciously welcomed those who had disappointed him and let others down. Peter denied him three times and he gave him the keys of the kingdom. So so church, I'm here to say simply this, Jesus makes space for everyone. No matter how society views people, Jesus always made space for them. And that's why one of the primary values of Villa Church East is that we make space for everyone. Everyone has a space here. Everybody. We don't fly flags out front to say that one group is more important than another. Everybody's welcome here. Jesus welcomed and valued people, and we do too. Every single person. No matter their age, how short they are, how tall they are, how paralyzed they are, how healthy they are, how wealthy they are, how broke they are, they're all welcome here. There's no one too far neglected, removed, broken, caught in sin, or damaged that cannot find a space within this church and so there are two values that I've lumped together this morning to share with you. Number one, we are a team building church. And number two, we are a servant leadership church. Both of these communicate that every person has a space here. We are one in what we believe. We are, we are unique in the way that God gifts us individually to serve one another. And so we try and get you to serve one another in as many places as you can possibly serve each other. The hallmark of a healthy church is that it loves to celebrate the unique gifts of individuals. And that's what we do here. So we we have space for people to serve in all kinds of different areas. Whether you belong to the church or you're not quite convinced you want to stay at the church or you're just still checking us out, there's lots of space for you to serve here. 81% of our congregation is involved in some weekly regular ministry for Jesus Christ. And we want to keep that number high. We're... We are together in one thing, Ephesians 4. There's one body, one spirit, just as you were called into one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all, through all, and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. What that means is we are all on the same page as far as what we believe and what we preach and what we teach. It is the gospel, plain and simple. But the way that we work and serve one another is totally unique. I'll serve you in a totally different way than you serve me. Some of you are gifted like in areas that I'm not gifted, and I'm probably gifted in some areas that you're not gifted. And you know what makes that beautiful? Is that God can use all of us. Every person has a space here at Village East. A sermon could be built on each one of these things, but I just want to point out to you these two things and just kind of bring them down for you just quickly here. We are a team building church. Village, te- uh, Village church teams are collaborative. That means we are a team made up of teams. Every team leader recognizes that they are the most, not the most competent or qualified for the job, but they are called for this season. So we speak, seek to build collaborative teams that bring out and celebrate the best in people while honoring high point leadership. And the phrase that goes along with this is, you are not the smartest person in the room. <laughs> I like that one because people say it to me pretty often. <laughs> And I'm glad. It's a good reminder to me. I'm not the smartest person in the room. But together we can do good damage, though, right? Number two, Village Church teams are evaluating. Kind of talked about this before. Let me share with you what you'll find online. The gospel declares that each person has fallen short of the glory of God and therefore will never perfectly perform. This means that no effort, activity, or project is the best it can be. At Village Church. We schedule, invite, expect, and joyously receive candid feedback on all aspects of our ministry, knowing with certain conviction our identity is not connected to our performance, but it is connected to Jesus Christ. Isn't that good? So you can do a job and drop the ball, and we'll love you anyway. In fact, sometimes we admit we do the same thing. So the phrase that goes along with this is, nothing I touch will be the best it can be. Evaluate everything. And secondary phrase, we measure everything because we measure what we value. Every person has a job to do. Every person is gifted by God. And listen, if you're part of Village Church East, we want to encourage you, find out what that gift is. If you don't know what it is, start serving in some area. What will happen is you'll start enjoying a certain part of ministry, and you'll say, I really like that part of ministry. And then you'll see there's another ministry that kind of focuses more in on that gift, and you might go, I want to help in that area. And you start building and growing, and that's how it happens. I didn't just wake up one morning and say to myself, I think I'm going to preach now. It took some time. I led a Bible study, and I thought, I can't lead a Bible study. All these college kids are way more smart than I am. So I led a Bible study. You know what? I kind of enjoyed it. And they questioned a lot of things that I, I, I taught them, and they should, because I was probably wrong. But together we came up with a lot of good ideas, and we did a lot of Bible study. And I really liked studying the Bible and preaching. And eventually God gave me opportunity to start preaching, and I walked through every door that he opened, and shazam, here I am this morning. Number two, we are a servant leadership church. We have inverted leadership. Let me explain to you what that is. The world leads from an authoritarian top-down org chart. At the Village Church, we love and honor our leaders, but our people do not primarily exist to serve our leaders and their vision. Our leaders primarily exist to serve, help, and equip God's people to achieve Jesus' mission. Inverted leadership is counterintuitive and requires constant attention. Spirit-cultivated humility and a release of control. And the end result is inverted, yet life-giving leadership culture. The phrase that goes along with this is, you may report to me, but I work for you. I love it. It's a great way to remove as much uh, fear in doing something, because you know you've got the support of your leader. We firmly believe in an inverted organizational chart. People don't exist for the leaders. The leaders exist for the people. By the way, that is the gospel. Do you remember Jesus said, I didn't come to be served. I came to serve. And if you ever perceive that I'm the kind of person you're serving, we've got to talk about the inverted chart here. Because I'm here to serve you. Number two, Village Church prioritizes decentralized leadership. The temptation of leaders is to control through centralized power Village Church, we recognize we can accomplish more when we delegate both the responsibility and the authority to make decisions away from the lead pastor, that's me, and out toward pointed leaders closest to the action. One of the great lids that the church, uh, on church growth and disciple making is centralized control. Our aim is to remove this lid by giving authority and responsibility to qualified men and women on the front lines of ministry. I, you, you don't know it, but you sit among a bunch of leaders here today, and some that are still freezing in their beds this morning. But the, we, we share ministry. And our goal is to remove red tape so that they can do ministry as God leads them. phrase that goes along with this is, point leaders closest to the action, make the decisions. The bottom line church is simply this. Every person is gifted, and no gift is more value than another. Here's a verse that goes along with that. By the way, if you've never read 1 Corinthians 12, it's full of this language. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the what church? That means that the Spirit gifts you so that you can bless everyone sitting around you. Isn't that great? And the more you learn to use your gifts, the more blessing you'll be to others. And everyone has a space because the Spirit gifts everyone. We believe these two values involve how a person fits in and serves at Village Church East and will keep us, to keep the gosp- keep us on track to keep the gospel first. So we have elders, deacons, and staff. Our elders and our deacons and staff must be trending healthy. We set the highest standards, right guys? We set the standard, and we know that. Secondary leaders, community group leaders, and ministry directors, each person serving at Village should demonstrate a drop-your-friend-through-the-roof kind of an attitude. So if you're a CG leader, if you're an MD director, that means if you are a ministry director, if you're in charge of any ministry, if you're in a leadership position at all, the thing that I'm most concerned about is not how well you do your job. The thing that I'm most concerned about is would you drop your friend on a pallet, through a hole in a roof to get them in front of Jesus? What would you risk? How do you love? Because when you lead with that kind of passion, mm, gates of hell will not prevail against you. and membership members also must be trending toward healthy members are constantly looking to develop their gifts and stretch their realms of influence so i finish with this church since the paralytic had such great friends could you name one of them for me please i mean these guys were full of faith their faith changed this guy's whole life so could you name one of the friends of the paralytic you you can't neither can i Do you want to know why? We're never told. Do you want to know why we're never told? That's not the focus. The focus is not on us being known. The focus is not on these friends getting their name engraved on the side of a building. The focus is not on the paralytic serving these four friends for the rest of his life. The focus is on the love these friends had for this one friend who could give them nothing in return but they were willing to risk everything to give him a space in front of Jesus. And so church, I'm here to tell you, people around you may not know your name, but that's not the thing. You see me up here, I get my name on all kinds of stuff, but that's not the thing. The thing is, are we going to be the kind of people, like the friends, willing to risk it all just to give somebody five minutes in front of Jesus Christ? Believing that that can change them forever. That's the kind of church I want to be. So, it it also occurs to me, like, these guys didn't preach or anything. They literally just lowered this guy in front of Jesus. So what gift is better than another church? Apparently, if you can move your hands on a rope, you're good. Every gift is essential. Without these friends, this guy is going to hell for eternity. Still in his sins. And he'll never know the joy of carrying his smelly palate home. But because these friends lowered him down, they made a change in this kid, this, this man's life for eternity. So church, everyone has a space here. You may stretch here, and stretching might hurt. I'm well aware of that. I'm well aware of that. In fact, I'm going to change that. You will stretch here. And stretching always hurts. We have a name for it. We call it growing There you go. When you grow, it's going to be painful. But you don't stop growing, or that's kind of painful in itself. So if you come here, stretching will hurt, but give it a shot. You are among friends who are willing to do anything for you, to give you a space. You may be evaluated here. You may take a step and say, all right, I'm willing to try out this leadership position. Hey, you're going to be evaluated. Don't attach your worth to how good you do your job. We don't. God knows our elders don't attach that to me, which I'm grateful for. Your value has no impact on how well you do your job. When you're told the truth, know that it's done out of a heart of love and respect for you because we believe that God is doing something great in your life. So finally, you may be cautious about this. You may be thinking to yourself, okay, this place has a space for me. I'm a little cautious. That's okay. Okay. Just don't stay still. Don't just come and find a seat. Find a space. Join a community group. You can learn all kinds of stuff in a community group. You get to talk about the message on Sunday in the community group. And I'm not there, so you can say whatever you want. It's fun, right? Join a community group. Get baptized. We had two people baptized last year. I thank God for that. I would love to baptize 10 people this year some of you that are thinking, have been thinking about baptism. Some of you know you should get baptized. Some of you have given your life to Jesus for the first time. Some of you have thought about what baptism really is. You sat through the baptism class. You realized biblical baptism is done after you believe in Jesus Christ. You need to be baptized. And if you have questions about that, we're setting up a baptism class in the near future. Uh, and you'll see more about that um, to answer any questions that you have. But be bold. Be baptized. It's an amazing... And when we baptize you in the pool out there, That's just fun. Um, Ask questions. No questions are stupid. You'll never know a deeper faith until you're bold enough to step out and ask questions. Listen, everyone has a space at Village, and you have a space at Village. You have a space to be you, and we'll love you for being you. You have a space to be real, a space where you might have to break, and we'll help put you back together. You have a space where you can see Jesus work through his people. You have space here, and everyone around you does too. It doesn't matter what's in your bank account. Nobody cares. It doesn't matter how much your resume is fluffed up. It doesn't matter your failures in the past. It really doesn't matter how broken you are. You're sitting amongst a group of broken people. But we believe that Jesus puts us back together. And we believe that we can be that friend for you. We happen to think you're pretty special because God dropped you into our space. And we'll take care of you here. This space is God's space. I love our church. I'm telling you what, I love our church. We're on a good trajectory. We haven't arrived yet, but we're on a good trajectory. And by being a kind of place where everyone is welcomed, we'll stay on that trajectory together. Sound good? Let's pray. I'm grateful, Father, for the time that we get to look through this passage. I'm excited to look through it even more and pull it apart and examine it Oh, how, how you rocked the world of those four friends. The paralytic getting up and walking away, I mean, that must have been quite a day for you. I know it was quite a day for him. These four friends seeing their faith, oh my goodness. To be rewarded not just with a, a, a man that could walk around, who could speak to them again, but to be rewarded with a brother in Jesus now. Lord, I want to be that kind of a church that our faith would rub off on others. We'd open up the area so that they know they have a space here. May 2020 clear our vision so that we can see what we need to do in order to be more influential with the gospel. And Lord, may we make this space as big as we possibly can so that you can change lives. Use us as the four friends to bring many people to yourself. Let it begin with us communicating clearly everyone is valuable. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.